You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. everybody welcome to the paranormal portal podcast i hope you guys are having a wonderful night and thank you so much for tuning in and supporting all that we're doing here on the podcast it's uh been amazing you guys have been amazing out there uh checking us out and subscribing and downloading and um it's just a real real pleasure uh of course i'm your host brent thomas this is the paranormal portal podcast and uh once again special thanks to revolver podcast for making all this possible Uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Vic Hundiff to the show of Dogman Encounters Radio and Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. He is with us today to enlighten us on the ways of the Dogman. People will tell me time after time about the Dogman or Dogmen that they got away from. You won't believe this, Vic. 20 years ago, I was... When I would get bored, I would go to this national forest I lived close to, and back then, I got bored a lot, so I wound up taking a lot of walks in that forest. Well, I went for a walk one day in that forest. I was about 700 yards from my truck, and all of a sudden, this giant werewolf-looking thing jumps out right in front of me. And it must have been nine feet tall, ten feet tall, Vic. And it's just snarling and snapping in my face. So I spun on my heels and I bolted all 700 yards back for the truck. Now understand, Vic, I've always been a lightning-fast runner. In fact, back in college, I was an (laughs) all-state sprinter. Thank goodness I was so fast, I was able to at least barely outrun that dog man all 700 yards (laughs) Vic back to the truck. Now, every time I'd look over my shoulder, Vic, it was about four to six feet behind me. Every time I would check, it was four to six feet 
behind me, Vic. <laughs> but thank goodness I was just fast enough to outrun that dog man, that monster, back to the truck. All 700 yards back to the truck that day. Time wow. after time, guys, I'll talk with an eyewitness or eyewitnesses that just don't get it. They yeah. just don't get it. It's no fault of their own. It's due to human nature, like I said. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling them anything that they didn't know. They were just taken off their game so much by the trauma of the encounter that they were unable to see it accurately for what it really was. And consequently, like I said, for what the dog man was really out to do. Right. So, yeah, it's my job to remind them to get them back on track, to point out the obvious <laughs> and get them to realize, okay, yeah, you might have been really fast, but you did not run that dog man 700 yards back to the truck. <laughs> right. It was yeah. toying with you. Right. And if it was toying with you, then you have yet in your life to encounter a bloodthirsty, mindless, monstrous killer that wants to rip your face off and eat it. As soon as look at you. So, yeah, once you point out what they've missed, the pink elephant in the room, then that right there, that that makes it so much easier to get them to deal with their encounters in a healthy way. Well, wow. And also it, it, it attributes an intelligence to the thing because I think a lot of people think it's the mindless killing machine. That's what it is. Right. It doesn't think about it. It just needs to do it. But when you present that, that, uh, that argument or that, or that point – then it, it it gives the the dog man so much more depth, and it gives it a personality or at least uh, you know some intelligence. And I right. think that that can help people cope because you know if 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 you're afraid of sharks, well sharks eat stuff. That's what they do. <laughs> that's how they live, and that's how they propagate and survive. And if you're in the water and the shark's hungry, they're going to eat you. But to know that this has an intelligence, it's discerning. It you know it made a choice. It was just you know monkeying around. Um, you know, I, I think that would help me cope personally. It's like, well, oh, okay. It was just playing. All right. Well, that's not nearly as bad as I had it in my head. Um, but right. I, well, and, 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 and I think it's funny because, you know, I'll be out throwing the ball for my boxer, you know, and my boxer is only, you know, two and a half foot tall at most, not very big either. But I know for a fact that my boxer, as small as it is with its four little legs can outrun me any day. Yeah. And that's even at my fastest. You know, so they have, yeah, as, as Vic said, they have to be reminded, you know, yeah. they're, if, if it's seven, eight feet tall and it's only four feet behind you, it doesn't have to do anything but reach out and lean forward and reach out and touch you. Maybe not even lean forward with not those even, arms. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, you know, I mean, but I think that's that, that's f that fright talking. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it, it's what gave them the energy or the wherewithal to do what they've just done. <laughs> They're looking back on, I'm still winning. I'm still winning. <laughs> yeah, <Ooh. laughs> yeah. I'm glad my friend with my, the pistol isn't around cause I'd have been down already, yeah. but I'm, you know, it's, it's yeah. Like he said, bring them back to the realization that no, it wasn't. It wasn't four feet behind you because you're such a such an all star. It's because yeah. all it had to do was reach out and just tap you on the shoulder, and you would have probably just pooped yourself. Yeah. You know, if, if worse than you already had. Yeah, exactly. Now, Vic, I got to ask you um, because this comes up in the Bigfoot world a lot, but I, I've heard claims of people riding uh, four by fours that clocked a Bigfoot at about forty five miles an hour. And I've got to ask, what is the, have you heard any claims as to the speed of a dogman? Well, about the fastest credible report I've heard about a dogman moving 
have the dogman moving about 55 to 60. Yeah, that's about God. as fast as I've I've heard a credible eyewitness talk about seeing one move. Right. That's amazing. Because they've been known to keep up with cars going 45, 50, close to 60 miles an hour as through the stories I've heard. Yeah. So they're pretty incredible. Even uh, even Linda Godfrey uh, mentions that. You know, yeah, that, yeah, that they had stayed up with this car doing 45 down this dirt road and stuff. So, yeah. you know, yeah, incredible. It is. And, and that guy must have been a hell of a sprinter then. Yeah, hell of a sprinter. <laughs> yeah. Fast if he was on the line with this, he'd still be talking about how fast he was. <laughs> but that reminds me, there is this one poor woman who was driving down this country road. She lived way out in the sticks. And unfortunately, she was driving down this country road. And it was a night where it was just cool enough where... You wanted to have your window down, but you couldn't get away with having it down all the way. So she had hers down maybe, I guess, eight inches or something like that. Well, she was heading down this country road doing about maybe 45, maybe 50. And she came around this wide-sweeping gradual curve, if I remember correctly. And all of a sudden, she saw this figure kind of run out onto the road, and it paralleled the car and then it just came up against her window mm-hmm. i guess it was dark enough out where she was having a hard time making out what kind of figure it was but as it came up against the car she could tell that it was kind of like a hominid style body it might have been a canine type dog man on on digitigrade style legs it was mm-hmm. too dark for it to see that i think but nonetheless she said it had kind of like a a head like a german shepherd in a way but it was just acting totally apoplectic it was just shaking its head and banging its head against her window and slobber. It was leaving slobber on her window and snarling and and everything, clacking its hands, claws, I guess, on top of the car. And it was just acting like it was out of its mind. And she was just thanking her lucky stars that she had her window up far Mm -hmm. enough where it couldn't reach its head in to get her. But, and I might've butchered some details from that experience. I talked to so many eyewitnesses. It's just so hard to keep the details straight, but yeah. Can you imagine what that would do to you? If you live out in the country, you're used to making that drive every night and (laughs) in the wee hours that happens to you. Wow. Yeah. That reset your whole expectation of that road. I'm, I'm betting. Well, you know, and and it doesn't really (laughs) matter how far her window was rolled up because I'm sure if that dog man wanted to get in that car, even even if it could just get its fingers in there, it'll rip that glass right out. Oh know? yeah. So once again, we have this um, um, ferocious display, but yet we don't have any of the actual damage or you know uh, obvious pointing to trying to get in. Right. So interesting. Yeah, that is strange. It's kind of like Bear Bear was on, and he talked about how he believes the, the, the Bigfoot count coup. And it sounds like that oh. may be the dogman's version of counting the coup. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. But terrifying. I mean, God, because that's like just seeing that visage. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. You've, I don't know how you cope with that. But that brings up another question that was asked in the chat was, Vic, do you, do you help the witnesses in dealing with their experiences and, and PTSD or, or any such things like that. Do I help the eyewitnesses deal with the PTSD they suffer from their encounters? Is that yeah. the, the yeah. question? Yeah. Do you help them get their lives back together? I guess it's probably the best way to frame that. Well, yeah, that's what I do. Right. A lot of people who know about dog me encounters, they think I happen to be a host and, 
That's what I do, but the truth of the matter is when someone contacts me wanting help with their encounter and they say that they actually want to come on the show, it's like, oh, really? That's the exception rather than the rule. No, by far and away, most of the eyewitnesses who contact me, they just want help putting their lives back together after having an encounter with a dog man or dog men. So, yeah, that's what I do. That's my job. I don't moonlight doing this. I'm not an accountant, a mechanic, like I tell eyewitnesses. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a physician. No, I help dogmen eyewitnesses put their lives back together after unfortunately having an encounter with one. Mm. That's what I do. No, that's cool. And I, and I think that that's important uh, because, as you stated before, there wasn't really anywhere for them to go, but now at least when they contact you, you're going to be there to help them put it all back together. You know, it's not just a, hey, come on and tell me what happened. Okay, thanks, bye. You know, you're you're walking through the process with them, and I think that that's that's fantastic. Um, we we have similar resources here on the portal for people dealing with spiritual problems and and you know dark hauntings and and other things. And it's been amazing. It's been wonderful to be able to help people like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. it was never a matter of course for the show, but it definitely has become. A, a, a part of a point of pride, is, yeah. yeah, a point of pride because you know it, it, at least you know we're there for the people as much as we can be as well. So I really commend you on that because that's that's great. I I don't know what it would be like to see this happen and to deal with this kind of thing, but I, I I'm just really thrilled that you're you're also a resource to help them pick up the pieces because I'm sure the PTSD must be mm. off the charts. You know, seeing something like that coming at you. That's the kind of thing you just don't, you know, forget about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no denying that. Imagine talking with a man in his 60s who, on every other aspect of his life, he's got it together. I mm-hmm. mean, he has a great life carved out for himself, but unfortunately, he had a very traumatic <clears throat> encounter with the dog man. And when he's talking to you about it, That's another thing. Whenever you hear somebody come onto the show and talk about their encounter, no, that's not the first conversation we've had. Mm -hmm. We will have spoken before that interview ever took place. I don't even try to help put the pieces back together on the show interviews. No, we do that first. We put the pieces back together first, and then after we've done that, we'll go ahead and schedule an interview when I think they're ready to actually record a show. But having said all that, yeah, there's nothing like talking with a man like that who's in his 60s or a woman who's in her 60s or maybe 70s even who has every other aspect of their life together. But unfortunately, they had a dogman encounter Mm. and a bad one at that. And when they're talking to you, it sounds like they're sitting on a paint shaker because they're so distraught, so shaken, and understandably so. They're not any more shaken than they would have been if they were a kid who heard a strange sound under their bed in the middle of the night and and looked underneath the bed and came nose to nose with the boogeyman. I mean, Mm -hmm. the poor people who experience these encounters – you really have to feel for them. Right. Yeah. They never asked to have this happen. It did. So, yeah, I just feel so blessed, so lucky to be in a position where I can help to try to help them put their lives back on the tracks and, and get back to good. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. And and you're right. I You know, in just this clip that I'm going to play now, it's from your episode 117. And, uh, you know, as I was listening to it, what what strikes me the most is the emotion in this man's voice when he's telling his experience. And you can tell 
even though you guys have talked about it, and even though by the time you recorded this, he had things in, you know in much better perspective. But that that raw emotion is still there. So I'm gonna play that now, if that's okay with you, Vic. It sure is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a witness report from the Dogman Encounters show, and uh, just sit back and buckle up. This is a it's an amazing story. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. Hey, guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com stores paranormal portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in this event happened back in 1981 i was 17 years old it was really hot that night and it would have been probably the latter part of july or perhaps the first week or two in August. I mean, it was really hot, and of course I was driving that night when it occurred, and and I was driving with my windows down because I didn't have any air conditioning. But anyway, this event happened when my wife and I were first dating. I think maybe we had been dating maybe about a year. I had just gotten my driver's license. Most teenagers get their driver's license when they're 16, but I didn't get mine until I was 17 years old. My dad had just bought me a 1968 Dodge Coronet, and I really loved that car, and I was really proud of it. It was kind of a burnished copper color with metal flake paint. It had nice mags on it, jacked up in the rear end. You know how the folks did with the muscle cars back at that time. It had a 318 engine in it, and of course now there's a lot of bigger and better Mopar engines out there, but this engine had been bored out and it had been built. It had quite a bit of power, and I had a nice set of cherry bomb mufflers on it, and uh, man, I just loved the sound that it made as I drove along, as I downshifted or accelerated the roar of that engine coming through those cherry bomb mufflers. And you know, now that I think back on it, and since we talked the other day, I've been thinking a little bit more about the encounter and trying to make sense of it and why it occurred. And I got to thinking about it. It's very possible I triggered the encounter that night and really what I consider as an attack by what I was doing with the engine of that car. Because, you know, as I would go into curves and I'd downshift, 
maybe, you know, sometimes I was kicking it up into neutral and goosing it and, you know, revving the engine. When I'd come out of the curves in the straightaways, I would kind of get into it just a little bit. And, you know, just listening to the roar of that engine coming through those cherry bomb mufflers. And maybe, I don't know, maybe this thing was in the middle of a hunt as I was driving. And I'll tell in a moment where the event occurred. But as I was driving down this road, there was pasture fields on either side of me, bounded by high ridges and woodland. And there was cattle and horses in the fields. And in other places, there was silage corn. I don't know if you know what that is, but primarily in this part of the country. I live in East Tennessee, just a couple of counties to the northwest of Smoky Mountains. And in our part of the country, it's primarily cattle farming, what people out west would call a a small ranch operation. Primarily, they raise beef cattle, some dairy cattle, and they raise silage corn. And Of course, they harvest the ears of corn to feed the cattle and to feed hogs and things like that, horses. And they grind up the corn stalks and the leaves and everything and make what they call silage out of it. And they store it in silos and they use that as feed for their cattle and horses and their hogs and things in the winter. And so I could see these cornfields and it was a bright moonlit night. And I could see occasionally these cornfields. And also at that time, there was a lot of tobacco raised in this part of the country. Of course, uh, there's not so much anymore. But back then, just about everybody had their own patch of tobacco. They would raise tobacco and sell it. And I could see cattle and horses in the field. It was such a bright moonlit night. I could see in the fields almost as good as you could in the day. And And also interspersed among the the cattle and horses in the field were deer, and it's very possible that this thing was in the middle of a hunt and about to maybe spring on a deer or maybe even a cow or a calf, and I interrupted its hunt with the sound of this engine as I was driving down through here, but like I said, I live in East Tennessee, maybe about 500 yards south of the Virginia line. And my occurrence happened actually over the line in the state of Virginia. But I was going to see my wife, as I said, and I wanted to show her this car that I had gotten that my dad had bought for me. I wanted to take her for a ride in it. You know, I was real proud of it. I wanted her to see it. And I was going to visit her at her parents' house, which is actually the property that we live on now in our home. But she lived at that time, we were teenagers, and she lived at that time with her parents, and I lived with mine. This was several years before that we got married. But my grandparents, they lived on a road that's called Wagoner Hollow Road, and then this road runs about, it's about 20, 25 miles long, and it begins in southwest Virginia, and it crosses over the line, and it passes through two counties in Tennessee as well, but the occurrence happened on the Virginia side of the line, like I said, my grandparents live on this Wagoner Hollow Road. I really don't know why they call it a hollow. It's really kind of a narrow valley, and just like most of the area around here, it primarily consists of narrow valleys and hollows, and bounded on all sides by high woody ridges. We've got a lot of trees here. I mean, you could start from where I live, a squirrel could and can just about, almost without any breaks, except for, you know, where the roads do pass through, 
travel from my house through the state of Virginia all the way to Cumberland Gap into Kentucky and almost never have to touch the ground. I mean, there's just woods everywhere on all the ridges all around. And this is how this valley was, this Wagoner Hollow Road. This is how it was. The road was real curvy, narrow country road, and it just kind of meanders through the valley all the way on the Virginia side and on the Tennessee side with farmland on either side. And, of course, three-strand barbed wire fences all along the way and fields. The valley here, it goes anywhere from three or 400 yards on either side of the road. And in some places, narrows down maybe to 150 yards or 100 yards or something like that. But, you know, it varies from different places. But anyway, I was going to take the route through this Wagoner Valley Road to go and see my wife and my grandparents lived in this Wagoner Hollow Road and my mother asked me if I would drop her off at my grandparents house to visit with them while I went to see my wife and then you know come back and pick me up afterwards and so I agreed to do that so I took my mother to my grandparents house and I dropped her off and I went on up to where my wife and I live now to her parents' house, and I took her for a ride in the car, showed her the car, and I ate supper with them, and we stayed there and, and visited together till about, maybe about 11, uh, 11, 15, something like that. And then I left, and I turned off the road that she lived on, where we now live, onto this Wagner Holler Road, and went back to pick my mother up at my grandparents' house. And now, as I said, this road, it's got a lot of sharp curves in it. There's some straightaways, but for the most part, it's just a windy, twisty, narrow country road. You can't go too fast. And of course, I just got my license. I was an inexperienced driver. My car, I hadn't had it too long, and I wasn't used to it. And so, of course, if you know anything about those muscle cars, they do great in the straightaway, and you can just fly with them. But they don't take curves too good, and so I couldn't go real fast. And I probably wasn't driving over 30 miles an hour at the maximum. And in, in a lot of cases, I was slowing down maybe to about 20 miles an hour. But in any event, I was going down through there, and I was downshifting and revving the engine and listening to the sound of the engine coming through those cherry bomb mufflers, and I was watching and looking at the cattle and the horses and the fields and everything, you know, on either side as I was going down through there. And I was just getting ready to go into a long and sharp curve that curved around to the right hand. And I noticed on the right-hand side of the road, and as I was going down through here, like I said, the moon was lighting everything up, and I could see everything almost as good as I could during the daytime in the fields. But the ridges and the woods on either side, they just kind of appeared like clumps, shadowy clumps. I couldn't really see much detail from them. And as I began to go into this long curve to the right, there was a shadow that kind of detached from maybe about 100, 150 yards off on my right, kind of detached from the shadows of the tree line and started moving at an angle away from the tree line, almost parallel in my vehicle, but coming at an angle. And I could tell by the way that the road was curving around to the right and the angle that this thing was moving, that it was going to intersect my vehicle. And I mean, this thing was moving on now. What I'm about to tell you about, Vic, this all happened and it couldn't be more than just a few seconds 
maybe 20, 30 seconds, something like that, certainly less than a minute, and couldn't have been any longer than that. But it just seemed like time just slowed down to a crawl, and it just seemed like everything was moving in slow motion. I don't know what it was about it, but there was something about this figure that just unnerved me. And it just made me uneasy. This, whatever it was, this thing just, it just didn't look, I couldn't really tell what it was about it, but there was something about it that just looked unnatural to me. Of course, I found out later on why that was as it got closer to me and I could tell what it was. And this thing was actually taking a longer path of travel than I was the way that it was running, but I could tell, I mean, this thing was going to come in direct contact with me somewhere around this curve. And, I mean, it was moving fast. I mean, super fast. I couldn't really tell what it was, but, uh, I mean, it was one of the fastest moving things that I'd ever seen. Anyway, as I'm coming around this curve, this thing is just keeping my attention, and my eyes are darting back and forth from the right. I got, you know, I have to look at the road or I'm going to run out of the road because I'm going around the curve, but it, it's drawing my attention. I keep looking at it and trying to figure out what this thing is and what it is that's so strange about the way that it looks. And it begins to draw a little bit closer to me. And, you know, I kind of thought maybe when it first came out, maybe it might be a deer. There's a whole lot of white-tailed deer in this area that we live in. And pretty much on a daily basis when I'm going to work, I'll see one somewhere along the way that's been hit by a car and killed you know, I didn't want this thing to run out in front of me and hit my car. And for one thing, at that time in Tennessee, there was no law requiring you to have automobile insurance. And my dad, he didn't believe in having it. And so I didn't have any insurance on my car. And I didn't want this thing, whatever it was, to cause me to wreck or to hit my car and do damage to it because I didn't have the money to fix it or to replace it. But then as I was watching this thing, I noticed that there was something strange about it. I noticed that whatever it was, it wasn't running on all fours. Whatever this thing was, it was on two feet. I didn't understand what it was. It just seemed to me like, I mean, the only thing that I know of in this area, and we do have black bears, they're rare, but we do have some in this area, but a black bear just cannot move at the speed that this thing was moving at. I mean, a black bear, when it gets up on its hind legs, it's just not natural for it, and it just moves in a clumsy fashion, and this thing, whatever it was, I mean, it was just moving super fast, and it was just fluid in its motions in the way that it ran, and no bear could get up on its hind feet and run in the way that this thing was running. But yet, you know, it couldn't be a man. I knew that it could not be a man because... I, I ran track when I was in high school. I ran the 880 relay, ran the 440, and I knew that a human being could not run as fast as this thing was running. And I just couldn't understand what this thing was that was angling across this field and coming toward me, and I knew that was going to intersect me as it came across this field. And as I'm going along, it starts to get a little bit closer as it's running at an angle, but yet at the same time, kind of parallel with my car. And it's keeping up with my car. It's keeping up with the speed that I'm going at. And I don't understand this. I don't understand how this thing can be going and keeping the same speed as my car. You know, I'm coming into this sharp curve, 
and I've got to slow down. And I know that this thing pretty soon is going to come out, maybe jump out in front of me and meet me and meet the line of travel of my car. And as it drew closer, I began to see more details about this thing, and it for definite sure was running on its hind legs. It wasn't on all fours. It was on its hind legs like a man, but it wasn't like a man. I mean, this thing was on its hind legs, but it wasn't standing up fully erect like a human being does. This thing was, it kind of appeared stooped as it was running. It was standing up. It was on its hind legs. But yet it wasn't standing up straight, and this didn't look like a human figure. It looked like something totally different. It, it looked like something that, I mean, I'd never seen anything that looked like this thing. And as it begins to draw closer, I begin to pick out more detail about it. And I can tell that whatever this thing is, it don't have knees like a human being does. This thing has hocks like a horse or a cow or a deer or something like that. But a four-legged animal like that cannot run on its hind legs like that. I mean, cannot possibly move as fast and as, as fluidly and as, as swiftly as this thing was moving. And then I noticed, I could see in the moonlight that it looked like it had a big dog's head. I mean, that, that, that's all I know how to explain it. I mean, it had a long snout on it like a wolf or maybe like a German shepherd. And it looked like it had long, tall ears that were standing straight up on the top of its head. And I could see that it had a long, bushy tail. And the only thing I know that I can think of that it reminded me of was a coyote's tail. But at that time, I don't think that we've got them here now. They came in here now, but I don't think we even had coyotes in this part of the country at that time. I'd never heard about it anyway. And there's no way that a coyote would be that big, and there's no way that it could run on its hind legs like this thing was running. And that tail, it streamed out behind it, that long, bushy tail, and it was kind of bouncing up and down a little bit as it was running. And I noticed that this thing had arms, and that the arms, they were, you know, they were kind of pumping like a human being's, but, you know, when a human runs... A human being pumps his arms almost as fast as his legs are moving, and this thing was kind of pumping them, but they weren't moving as fast as his legs were moving. And another thing that I noticed the majority of the time when a human being runs, a human kind of clenches their fist when they run, and this thing wasn't doing that. It was almost holding its hands, and that's what they looked like. It didn't look like paws to me. I can only describe them as hands, it more or less looked like they were hanging almost limp as it ran, and I could see the fingers hanging down as this thing ran. And as it began to draw closer, I could see that it had hair or fur all over its body. I could see that, and I could tell that. I couldn't really tell for sure, but it looked to me like it was black, but later on I realized that that's what color it was, but I really couldn't tell the color yet at this point. And so this thing begins to draw closer. And as I said, it was a really hot night, and I was driving along in my car, and I had my windows rolled down because I didn't have any air conditioning on it. And, you know, this thing keeps drawing closer and closer to me. And and I just, you know, my unease just grows more and more. And I'm starting to get scared. I, I I don't understand it. I don't know what this thing is. I just can't make out what this thing is. It don't look like anything that I've ever seen before. 
and it begins to draw closer. It gets close to the barbed wire fence on the right-hand side, and I think, well, maybe it's going to slow down, or, or maybe it'll veer off where it won't run into that barbed wire, and it'll turn aside out of my way. But it didn't do that. Instead of doing that, this thing sped up. And instead of turning aside, it jumped right over the fence. And it landed on my side of the fence in between the ditch line and the fence. And then it took another bound. And the next thing I know, this thing is out in the road. I mean, it's right next to my vehicle. And it scared me so bad that I, I jerked the wheel and, and I ran over in, in, into the left lane. And, and I was driving in the left-hand lane. And, and, and if there'd been a, in, if there'd been a car coming, I mean, you know, I, I, it would have hit me head on, but it scared me so bad when this thing jumped across the fence, and I thought it was going to jump right into my vehicle, that I, I you know, just not thinking inst instinctually, I just jerked the wheel to the left and went over as far as I dared into the left-hand lane. And this thing, it started running right along beside of me. And I want to tell you, Vic, like I said, I had the windows rolled down, but I had carry bomb mufflers on that car, and if you know what they're like, they're loud. But yet, at the same time, I could hear the nails of this thing, the toenails, click, 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 clacking on the road as it ran along beside me. And I could, man, I could see it good now. And, you know, I, 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 I had to, I, I really didn't want to look at its face. I really didn't want to see its face. But I couldn't help it. it. It's just like I couldn't help myself. I had to. And, I mean, this thing was tall. I, it had to be at least seven feet tall. It towered over the top of my car. And it was running along beside me. It couldn't have been more than five or six feet off the passenger side of my car. Just, I mean, right even with my passenger side window, I could see it just as clear as day as it ran along beside of me. And I, I really didn't want to see its face. But I felt like I, I just couldn't help it. I had to. And so, and, and it was so tall, I had to kind of lean over, almost lay over uh, uh, on the right side, kind of in the seat, and pop myself up with my hand on the right side while I hung on to the wheel and drove with the left to, to get a look at it and, and, and to see its face. And I, I wish that I hadn't, but I did. You know, this thing definitely... I mean, it was, it had to be, like I said, it had to be seven feet tall, Vic. Oh, God. This thing, it looked like a gigantic wolf or, 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 or maybe, uh, maybe something like a, 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 a German shepherd or something like that, but it, it, its ears were different. They were slim and they were high and pointed, like I said, on top and had kind of like tusks sticking out. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people describe these things, and I've, I've heard them say that, that, you know, they couldn't tell what they were. But I'm here to tell you this thing was a male. There was no doubt about that. I mean, it was right there in the open, in the clear, just as plain as day, right in front of me. And I'm not going to use any kind of vulgarity or anything like that, but let me just put it this way. As I leaned over and looked out the vehicle, I mean, I could tell just exactly what it was because it was right there at the base of his belly right in front of me, and I could tell just as plain as day that it was a male. This thing is running along beside of me. And, you know, at first, it, 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 it just, it, it's like it's not even seeing me. It's like it's not even paying attention to me in my car. Like, it, it don't even notice us. 
or like it, it just don't even care uh, uh, about me being there in that car as it's as it's running along, and 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 you know my eyes are darting back and forth like I said from the road to this thing as I'm I'm trying to drive around this curve and and man I wanted to hit the gas and I wanted I wanted to just floor it and I wanted to get out of there, but I didn't dare do it because I was afraid I would run out of the road and run into the ditch and 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 I would wreck and there I'd be with this thing and. I mean, I'd just be right there at its mercy. But yet I wanted to because I, I could tell. I mean, this thing had, had arms. If it, if, if it hadn't had them, if it had, didn't have them bent and wasn't pumping them as it ran, this thing's arms would have hung down below its hocks, Vic. And, and, and I know that if it wanted to, this thing could have reached right in my car window and right over to the driver's side, from the passenger side, and this thing could have grabbed me and it could have drugged me right out of the car. If it wanted to, it could have just ripped my head off. Or it could have it could have leaned in in my car window and it could have bit my head off. I don't know. I know it could have and I wanted to get out of there, but I didn't dare because I was in this steep curve and I knew that if I hit the gas, this car probably wasn't going to be able to handle the curve and it was going to run off in the ditch and I was going to wreck and I was going to be there alone with this thing and I was going to be at its mercy. And oh, and like I said, I, I mean, I got a, I got a good look at it. I got a, a real good look at, at, at what this thing looked looked like, and and it was just as jet black black as it could be. It had it had hair uh, or fur over most of its body, maybe about three or four inches long, thick fur, and it was glossy. It, it had a sheen on it. It was reflecting the light from that full moon. And, uh, I mean, it was just thick all over its body, except for uh, it kind of thinned out uh, down on its belly, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, up above its uh, up above its legs. But other than that, it was just, just thick, thick hair, maybe about uh, three, three, four inches long, and, and, and uh, up around its head, the back of its head, and kind of like down over, I don't know what to call it, other than shoulders, down over its shoulders, it was maybe about five, six inches long. It was just a little bit longer. I've heard people describe it kind of as a, like a, the mane of a line, but it wasn't that long. It wasn't that much difference in the length of the, of the hair, but you could tell that it was just a little bit longer. And this thing, like I said, it had a, had a long snout on it, like a, like a German shepherd or like a wolf. And I could see as, as it was running along beside me, I could see its, its mouth was kind of relaxed and open and I could see that it had like, you know, jagged shaped teeth like a, like a dog's got on the side of its mouth. But it had fangs that were about maybe four inches long that were hanging down over its bottom lip. And the bottom ones were disappearing up into the top lip. But its mouth was kind of parted and, and it, it kind of had its tongue hanging out on the left side of its mouth, just like a dog does as it runs along as, as, as it's painting. And uh, like I said, this thing wasn't paying a bit more attention to me than if I wasn't even there. And for a little while, it just ran along beside me and just didn't pay me any attention. But that didn't last. Just slowly, seemed like just seemed like it took forever. But just slowly, it started to turn its head, and it and it looked at me. And you know, I I I I know that you said that. You shouldn't, and I've heard other people say that you shouldn't, but I couldn't help it. I looked full in its eyes. I wish that I hadn't. I wish I'd never seen it. 
I wish I could erase the picture of what I saw from my mind, but I can't. And, you know, I've heard people say that they had amber or yellow eyes or, or red or orange-like eyes, but that's not what I saw that night. This thing had great big black eyes, and I couldn't see any kind of pupil. I couldn't see any kind of white or anything like that. But uh, all I could see was black, and, and then they just looked as black to me as a bottomless pit. They, they just seemed soulless to me. And 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 I, I tell you, Vic, I just I just had a sense of uh, of evil that came over me. And and this thing, when it looked at me, it was like it was like that it could look through me and look to my very soul. And 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 like I said, I just felt like I had been touched by evil. I don't know how else to explain it. And there was such a fear. And and I I, I wanted to 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 scream or to holler, holler out or do something. But it just seemed like my mouth just dried up like cotton, and there wasn't a sound that would come out. And I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to get away from this thing, but I couldn't because I was afraid I was going to wreck. And then it, it, it came closer to my vehicle, Vic, and it leaned down. It leaned in. And, and, and mind you, this thing is running beside my car the whole time. And it, it leaned over, Vic. And it stuck its head in my window, and and it grabbed hold of my door with its right hand, and and that, I don't know how to describe it as other than that. It, it was a hand, and, and I know that people have described this thing as I talked to say that they 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 kind of look like raccoon hands, and and maybe in a way that's right, or or maybe a a, a mix between the the hand of a raccoon and, and maybe the hand of a monkey, something like that. But this thing had huge hands, and it had had long, long black nails, maybe about three inches long, two or three inches long, on the ends of its of its nails, long black thick nails. And this thing put its right hand on my door, and I and I could hear it. It, it put its left hand on on my doorknob, and it was jerking at my door, and it was jiggling my door handle. But thank goodness, when I had been at my wife's house, at my, then my girlfriend, and I'd been at her parents' house, I'd locked the car. And when I came back out, I didn't unlock that door because nobody was going to be riding with me at that point uh, before I went to get my went back to get my mother. And uh, uh, so it wasn't able to get my door open. But this thing was leaning in my window, and it was looking right at me. And it, 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 I mean, it, it seemed like that it, it, it curled its, it, it, it curled its lips back. And, and, and I, I know it smiled at me, but I don't really remember hearing it. All I could hear was the sound of my engine and the sound of its toenails as it ran along beside my vehicle going clack, 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 clack on, on the pavement. And this, I mean, I could, it, it breathed on me and it was hot breath and it, it, it was, it was, uh, you know how people describe that breath as being kind of faded and seemed like I could smell blood and 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 maybe decaying flesh as it breathed on me. It was horrible. And oh, I thought I was dead. I thought this was the end of me. I thought I was a goner. I thought I was a dead man for sure. At just about that time, the curve ended and and, and I came into a straightaway. And I just hit the gas and and pushed it to the floor. And I took out of there, I took my eyes off of it, and I looked ahead. 
And out of the corner of my eye, I saw it's it's that nails just. I saw it lose uh, grip on my car door, and I saw it smells uh, uh, rake across the top of my door, and its head disappeared from my window. And I don't know. I had to be going seventy or eighty miles an hour. I don't know for a time there. I mean, I I, I just I just had to peel out of there and get away from this thing. And as I drove away from it, as I pulled away from it, I looked in my rearview mirror and I could see it getting smaller and smaller as it began to slow down. And the last thing I remember, the last thing that I saw, this thing veered off to the right again and jumped over the fence and disappeared into that field. And I'm telling you, Vic, I, I, I was so, I've never been so scared in all of my life. I mean, it was just absolutely horrifying. And I, and I went on and, and drove on, and this, this happened maybe about two miles from my house, where I live now, and, 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 and maybe it wasn't, it couldn't have been over a mile, mile and a half from my grandparents' house. And I went on there, and I picked my mom up, but I never told her a thing about what happened. And I never told my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, like I said, I never told her, and I've never told her in the 35 years since this has happened. I never told any of my friends. I didn't tell my dad. I've never told any of my children. I've never told anybody until I filed the report with you the other day, and you called me. I've never talked to anybody about this and told them about what happened. I tell you, it was the most horrifying experience of my life. And my dad, he asked me the next day where the scratches came from on my vehicle. And I told him that I, I run out of the road and I run into a thorn bush and that's where the scratches came from. And I tell you, Vic, I love that car. I mean, it, I loved it. But I could not keep that car thinking about what happened and, and what I went through that night. I just couldn't keep it. I had to get rid of it. And I traded that car for a 74 Nova. And I got rid of it. And, and, you know, I, I, as time went on, I, I mean, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for, day, for nights after this. If I would drift off to sleep, I'd wake up having nightmares, seeing this thing happen over and over again. And I couldn't keep it out of my mind when I'd lay in my bed. And I'd think about it and, and, and just go over and over and over what happened in my mind. And, and you know, that night, I, I, I didn't know what I'd seen. I really didn't understand what it was. You know, I'd read about and heard about werewolves and things like that, but I really didn't connect this thing with that. And you asked me, uh, you mentioned, maybe in the pre-interview, you mentioned about horror movies. And I can tell you right now, I don't watch horror movies. I hear people talk about saying it looked like uh, this werewolf in this movie or that movie, but I've never seen them. The only werewolf movies that I ever saw were the old Lon Chaney movies when I was a kid. That's that's the only ones I've ever watched. Anything that come out after 1981, I can tell you right now, I've not seen it because I won't watch them. My wife, when my kids were little, my sisters would come up, and they loved horror movies, and my wife loves horror movies, and so did my children. And my wife, you know, they'd go, and, and back then we had VCRs, and we rented movies, and they'd go out, and they'd rent horror movies, and I'd go to bed, or I'd go off in another room. I, I could not watch them, and I can't watch them to this day. I told you, this caused uh, just extreme bad behavior in me. I mean, I, I engaged in things. I'm not going into details what they were. I hate that I did them, but I did things that I know now was trying to deal with this. But, you know, I put it out of my mind, and I suppressed it for all those years. But yet there was something that bothered me. And, you know, I live, my house is only about 
40 or 50 yards from the woods. I've got woods in behind my house. I've got woods on the right side of my house. I've got woods on the left side of my house. And I've always had an anxiety about living so close to the woods. And I know now that that's why that is. And when I go out in my backyard, I just can't stay out there because I feel like that there's something out there, that there's something lurking in the woods that's looking at me and that's watching me. And I just can't stand it, and I have to go back in the house. And You know, I used to want to hunt, but in 35 years after this thing has happened to me, since I saw this thing that I now know, I couldn't explain it then. I thought maybe it might be a demon. I thought maybe I was having a waking nightmare, or maybe it was just my imagination. I just didn't have any explanation for it. And I now know that that thing was a dog, man. I didn't know about them then, and I didn't understand. But now I know what that that's what that thing was. And I tell you, Vic, like I said, I, I used to want to hunt, but I can't do it. In the past 35 years, I have not hunted one time. I own guns. I love guns, but the only thing that I do is target shoot with them. I don't take them into the woods because I just can't do it. I mean, I've I tried to go a couple of times, but I just couldn't stand it. I just had to leave because there's something out there, and I know it's out there. And, you know, like I said, I put this thing out of my mind, and I, and I really wasn't thinking about what it was. I know what it is now because when I heard the description of a dog man on Dog Man Encounters, this all came flooding back to me, and I know what it is now. And I tell you, Vic, I know that these things are real. I know that night it wasn't a demon, it wasn't my imagination, it wasn't some kind of waking dream. I know that I saw a real, living, breathing animal. And I tell you, I, I believe these things are dangerous. I mean, I hear about these people that, that want to have an encounter and go out and hunt for them or hunt for Bigfoot. You know, there was a time I thought maybe I might like to do something like that. But I tell you right now, I think they're crazy. These things are nothing to fool with, and I don't think anybody ought to go out there looking to meet up with one of these things. You may meet up with it for real, and you may wish, like I wish, that you had never seen the thing. And I tell you, I've, I've heard you say that you shouldn't ever look these things in the eye, but I did that night. I, I looked this thing full into the eye, and it felt like it was looking into my very soul. I felt like it knew everything about me, and when it looked at me that night, that's something else that I forgot to mention a while ago. When it stuck its head in my open window and looked at me and curled its lips back, I mean, like I said, it was like it was giving me a, a, a seditious grin, and it licked its chops. You know, you've seen, you've seen a wolf or a dog do that. It licked its chops at me, Vic, like it was telling me, I know that you're lunch. There's not a thing that you can do to stop me if I want to hurt you, and you look awful delicious to me. That, I mean, that's that's how I felt. That's what it looked like to me, that it was conveying to me that night. And I tell you, I was scared to death. I was horrified. I've never, ever, ever experienced anything in my life that scared me so bad as that did that night. Oh, it was awful. And and basically, that's what happened to me, Vic. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. (laughs) 
right, everybody, and we're back, and we're back at it here on the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Buckle up. We're going in. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I, I know I, I hadn't heard that, that episode before tonight, um, and just hearing how his voice trembled, how he was still dealing with the emotion of that event that happened so long ago, but it's so incredibly imprinted on his, on his very being. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, oh man, Vic, that's, that's a powerful, powerful, uh, testimonial. Yeah, it's pretty intense. No doubt. Wow. I mean, you know, thank God for what you do. Thank God that you could help him to work past that. But the interesting thing is, is that it sounds like he, he had put it so far, buried it mm -hmm. so far in his own psyche, he didn't even realize the impact uh, that it was having in every part of his life after that. And, right. and I suppose him getting, to, getting in touch with you, him sharing this story, will be very cathartic for him and, and has been very cathartic. But it, you could hear it in how he was telling us, like, you know, now I know why. Yeah. Now I know why. It was like he was probably doing battle with himself for all these years, carrying around this trauma that there was nowhere to put it. He was. Yeah, that's pretty typical for eyewitnesses. Mm. Some eyewitnesses, they think that you can bury it, and that's the effective way of dealing with it. But I think in most cases, if they do bury it like that, to try and hide it from themselves, which you can't do that. Mm. But if you do to decide to suppress it like that, it's going to come to the surface mm. Whether you want it to come to the surface or not, at some point down the road. So yeah, it's definitely better to to come to terms with it, meet it head on. The problem is with most of these people, until they find out about me and what I do, they don't have the means to do that. So all they can do is to try and suppress it, and that's the best way they know mm -hmm. to deal with it. So. Yeah, yeah, I just, like I said, I feel so lucky to be in a position where people like that can find me and we can talk about what's been troubling them about their encounters and, and bring them back to a good place. I just, I feel so lucky. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, it, you know, what you're doing is powerful and it's important. And, and of course it's entertaining as well, but that's being on the outside looking in. I, I don't think that any of your, any of your witnesses would ever uh, use the word entertaining, yeah. but that's just, you know, <laughs> that's just me uh, looking at it from the perspective and safety of my home. If I were in those experiences, I, I you know, I may have a whole different opinion, yeah. um, but you know, it's just, it's a process and the fact that you guys are working through those things and helping them put it back together and, and, and not only that, but giving them a forum. And then people like him will hear that story and, and it'll maybe help someone else come forward and help someone else come forward. And, and you know, that was one of the questions that I had yet to ask you uh, is why, why in the last 10 years are there so many more stories mm -hmm. And do you think it's just a matter of people finally being able to have the dialogue? Well, it's easy to think that more encounters are being reported yes. lately because of the fact that, yeah, you hear about so many more encounters now than you ever heard about in the 90s or even the 2000s. But, yeah, I think it's our communication, the 
increased ability to communicate that we have now. I think that's the biggest reason why you hear about so many more encounters now than you ever used to hear about. So, yeah, I don't think that they're happening with an increased frequency. I just think it's our ability to let others know. It doesn't matter if you're in Africa, if you're in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. If something of note happens, no matter where you're at in the world, on the planet, we have the means now to let that news travel around the world in the snap of a finger. So, yeah, I think that's why we hear more about encounters now than we ever have. I don't think it's because they're they're breeding like rabbits or anything like that. <laughs> Thank God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no oh, doubt. Yeah. So with that idea, what do you think is keeping their population down? Is it because they prefer to be loners? Um, or is it just because they don't propagate like you would think um, a, 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 some kind of a wild animal like a wolf or a coyote could? Or do you think it's just something DNA with them? I really don't know. All I could do is guess at that. But it would make sense that they wouldn't become overly fecund like rabbits or roaches because they do have to eat. And if you had dogmen hanging out at the local corner store and <laughs> dogmen over here, over there, yeah. I mean, well, how are they going to feed themselves? How are they going to make a living? So it just makes sense that they would be smart enough to know that if they overpopulate, then that's not going to be in their best interests. It's going to make them easier to discover. And mm -hmm. they seem to like being the ones to push the issue, but they don't seem to like when you come looking for them. But yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons why that might be. I don't know for sure what the real answer is, but there are a lot of possibilities that would explain that. Right. Yeah. You know, um, real quick, I we, I have to ask this question. It's for a friend of ours over in Australia, our buddy Cade. He's been dying for me to ask this question. He wants to know if um, it, how the encounters in Australia differ or uh, differ or are different than the ones in 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 America. What are the differences between those? Are there any differences? No, there don't seem to be any differences, no matter where the encounters happen. They seem to be pretty typical of each other. I mean, whether they happen in Croatia or Africa or Serbia, you name it, they all seem to follow the same predictable course. The dog man, it could have easily evaded detection, but it didn't. It decided to push the issue. It sought out the eyewitness, and once the eyewitness saw it and freaked out, and understandably so, once they freaked out and the dog man saw that, the dog man moved on. Hmm. Rinse, gotta, and repeat. Yeah, Rinse and repeat. Yeah. I've got a I've got a quick question to ask you. I know this is maybe this is too big of a can of worms to get into at this point in the show, because I know we're on the tail end here, but do you think there is government knowledge of this? And do you think mm -hmm. do they do you think they ever dispatch kill teams to deal with these like are witnessed or, or are claimed to happen in the Bigfoot world? Thank you for asking that yes. question. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I definitely I'm convinced that the government knows about them. I've got no doubts the government knows more about them than any other 
agency. Anyone would know about them just because they have the means to. And yeah, I think under certain extreme circumstances, they will and have dispatched kill teams. I don't know how effective the kill teams have been Mm. and or are, but no, I think they do dispatch kill teams. If you have a situation that might cause an unfortunate outcome that the government would not be happy with, then and then they do send out teams to try and deal with them. Like in the LBL, it's been alleged that that's what happened there. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's a definite yes on both counts. Wow. wow. You know, but now that brings me back to another kind of a conspiratorial question. Because earlier you mentioned that um, maybe not all dogmen are natural. Maybe they are manipulated on a on a dna a cellular level what are your thoughts on that well some people try to explain away the dogmia phenomenon by saying well they were just created by our government in some lab well yeah that i can appreciate you feeling that way but that definitely wouldn't explain why we had an encounter several encounters documented back in the 1800s right. you're going to tell me that the governments of the world <laughs> they were advanced enough to be able to gene splice together a dog man back then no no way so yeah that does not explain that but who's to say that now with our technology maybe we can Maybe we are advanced enough in our gene splicing to create a test tube dogman. Mm-hmm. But if that's the case, then you have the naturally occurring ones, and then you have the test tube dogman. But yeah, to say that they're all the result of some laboratory experiment, that just doesn't hold water. Right. Wow. Well, I know we've kept you a long time. I, I got to thank you so much for oh, coming on the show. Awesome. It's been an epic, epic journey uh, through the portal with you. And uh, thank you so much for making this happen and coming on tonight. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, I, I, I want you to take a couple minutes and let people know how to stay in touch with you, Vic, and to follow your work. Well, if you'd like to tune in, to Dogman Encounters. The best way to do that would be to go to the website dogmanencounters.com. And once you're there in the site, if you wanted to find out the two different ways to listen, if you visit the podcast page, you'll find all the links you'd need right there, any instructions, all that is right there on the podcast page. If you happen to have had a Dogman Encounter that you need help dealing with, then if you visit dogmanencounters.com, right there on the home page, there's a button you can click on to submit a form that's going to come to me. And I'll receive that form submission, and basically I'll contact you, I'll schedule a conversation with you, and that'll give me a chance to find out what what's troubling you and whatnot, and that way we can work through what's ailing you. Now, on the Sasquatch side of things, if you'd like to listen to Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, if you go to BigfootEyewitness.com and then visit the podcast page over there, then you'll find all the links and instructions you're going to need on how to listen to that show as well. I also host Bigfoot Eyewitness but, yeah, having said that, that's really all there is to, wow. if you have a dogman encounter you need help with, that's how to contact me. If you want to listen to either one of the two shows I host, Dogman Encounters or Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, then 
That's how you would do that. Wow. But having said that, yeah, guys, thanks again so much for having me on. It's been a great oh, time. It's, oh, it's it, been riveting. Yeah, it's been our pleasure, brother. Riveting. Thank you so much. And and uh, hopefully you'll come back on again, and we can we can do more investigating of this incredible phenomenon. That was incredible. Just say the word. All right, brother. Well, thank you again. And ladies and gentlemen, thank all of you for tuning in. I, I know we've got to have some new faces. Uh, there's a lot of people watching the live stream. Thank you guys so much. If you like what you saw, please get subscribed and hit the bell so you can know when we're coming on live again. Uh, we uh, really appreciate all of you being here and taking part in this journey. And, uh, you know, we'll, we've got a lot more shows to come. So right. hopefully, you'll, hopefully you'll stick around. And yep. Don, anything in closing? Uh, you know, our Teespring. Uh, we have that special uh, promo for uh, for um, uh, Halloween. Halloween. Uh, Spooky twenty will get you twenty percent off your order. I want to say thank you, Vic. It's been a riveting two hours, and it's gone so quickly as well. <laughs> it was awesome to speak with you. Thank you very much. And later. oh, you're welcome. It's been a great time talking with you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L, and uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows in our uh, our, our vault of <laughs> journeys into the paranormal portal. So I hope you'll check it, uh, check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash paranormal portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So uh, stay tuned. But we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody. <laughs>